Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Wilmington. We're in the middle of a vision series. So for those of you who have been joining us, we're in the middle of talking about River Life Wilmington and, and our vision, and we've been just kind of kind of piecing it out, taking chunks at a time. And the last couple of times I've spoken, I've talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then last week talked about carrying the presence into our lives. And today I want to talk about this, uh, this section. Well, let's read the vision. Let's start there. So our vision is to host a diverse church body that encounters the love and presence of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Those encounters lead to radically changed and filled lives and a people who are activated into their identity. Let's remember that one. Who are activated into their identity and callings and carry the presence and kingdom of God into the city of Wilmington and beyond. Sounds pretty fun, doesn't it? Sounds like something I'm excited to be a part of. But I've been working. It's, it's a little wordy. Can you put it back up for me? I've been working on a, a, I'm gonna, like a draft condensed version. I'm going to run it by y'all today. You ready for this? Okay, ready? From and for Father God, Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. How about that? That's a condensed, right? From and for the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That's really what we want to be about, you know, because I think that's where everything happens from. And then because we get to do the four, you know, isn't that fun? Okay. That hit a lot better than it did when I was practicing on my family. All right. So today I want to talk about that piece activated into our callings because of what we encounter with God, because of the Father, because of the goodness of the Father, because of the grace of Jesus, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are activated into our identity and our callings. And today I want to talk a little bit about activated into our identity. Activated into our identity. And identity deals with a lot of things. And if you look at, um, like, professional, like, psychology, psychologist definitions of identity, a lot of it's tied into, like, your calling, who you are, what you do, a connection to who you, like, your core beliefs, and are you actually working out those core beliefs closely? Like, there's a lot of that. For us spiritually, we believe that a lot of our identity is tied up into who we are as sons and daughters, right? That's like a starting point for us. I was in um, Wilmington downtown. This was some year, maybe even a, more than a year ago. Uh, we had been traveling down here to visit my daughter, Charlie, who just left the room. She uh, was a volleyball player at Cape Fear. She came down here uh, years before us to play, and we found ourselves visiting the Wilmington area to go watch her play volleyball. And um, one of those trips, at this point, we knew that God was calling us. Um, I don't have the exact date written in my notes, but it was probably early fall, a year before last. So what would that be, 2022, early fall? And we were sitting down at Front Street Brewery in uh, Wilmington and um, sitting on outside. They have some picnic benches that are like outside on, on, is that Front Street? Y'all, the name of the brewery is Front Street Brewery. And I just asked if it was called Front Street. That was terrible. We were on Front Street. 
And uh, I was sitting there, and during this time, <clears throat> we had seen a lot of churches in Wilmington. Like, we were driving around. I made the joke one time that College Street might as well be called Church Street. Like, there's just churches everywhere in Wilmington. And, uh, no, not down here on River Road, though, by the way. So we're excited to be down here. But I was like, God, God had been talking to me about, yeah, but there's no church like River Life. You know, there's no church like River Life. And what you have I want, to, I want to do some things through what you have. And y'all, that, we love the other churches, by the way. We love the Sending Church. We love the other churches that we were visiting. They all have a commission. They have, have an identity, that they're, a DNA that they're releasing. I just feel like also, and also, we have some, you know, just richness in our family, uh, River Life family, that we want to release. And we feel like people will be drawn to that unique expression of the Father. Does that make sense? So, like, okay. In that way, I think we're unique, right? Because God says, okay, so I'm sitting on Front Street. It's like, Lord, why? Why are we here? And I see people walking up Front Street, and I feel like the Lord told, told me, the people of Wilmington need identity. You know, it just set on me. The people of Wilmington need identity. And we love identity. Like, we love talking about and going after identity. And that's one of the reasons why it's in our vision statement is because God said so. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I, we, feel like, we feel like identity starts with who you are. Identity is not what you do, I think, spiritually. If you look again at psychology, identity crisis can be tied up into, like, are you doing the things that are connected to who you really believe you are and your, your culture and your, your... So I'm not saying there's not a connection to what we do, right? But who we are isn't what we do. So if I ask you, who are you? You know, you're, you're not your profession, right? We are, we, are, um, we are who we are and because of whose we are, you know? And, uh, and I think it starts with our vision of how we see the Father, how we see, a, a, how we see the Father, how we see God the Father. We, f- we feel like that's really important to identity. Um, there's a book called Four, Four, I don't remember, something about four ways that Americans see God. And um, I boiled it down into it. Well, I took that and then put my notes, my own notes in it. But, you know, some people, I think, feel like God is a distant ruler, a controlling deity even, right, that's in, in control of all the universe at a macro level and could really care less about us, right? Some people see God that way. Would you agree? Like kind of far away, distant, deity, who are we, right? Does God even care about us? Do we even matter? Some people would see God that way. By the way, we don't. Some people see God as a distant, far away father, not deity, a father, but that father is critical controlling, maybe waiting to cast judgment. I think this is a lot of, to be frank, a lot of reformed theology is centered around this idea that God's kind of far away and like there's a cause and reward, like a cause and action, you know, what word am I looking Cause and effect, you know, I think this is why people feel like they walk around feeling like, am I making God happy? Did what I do make God happy or did it make God mad? Like, there's a cause and effect. I'm a good person, I get good things. I'm a bad person, you get bad things. Well, then, the classic question, why do bad things happen to good people, right? That's why people are like, how could this Christian family lose a baby? 
if God is good, because in their mind, God is a, is a father that sits far away and he's a controlling God and there's a cause and effect. Does that make sense? Or is your view of God as a loving father that's not far away? A loving father that's close to us, right? A loving father that cares about us and pursues us. A loving father that we actually can't do anything to make him more in love with us. And we can't do anything to make him like lose our love, lose, lose his love for us. That's a different kind of perspective, right? Because from that perspective, we respond. We don't earn God's love. We respond from God's love. Right? When we, that's why I said earlier, we're from God for God. Not to God so that he would but from God because then we can and we get to, right? And because we're compelled to because of his goodness. Does that make sense? Um, so because we're loved, we don't need to strive. There's also a settling that happens. If you come from a place of like your identity being placed in that view of God the Father, then, <clears throat> excuse me, then you're, I'm settled. And y'all, I don't always live like I'm settled. By the way, this is the perspective that we have. <laughs> I don't always live like I'm like coming from a place of like already being loved. Sometimes I slip into that. Got to earn it. Got to do right. Got to be right. Right. Maybe I didn't do good enough. (laughs) Well, God can't love us more. Now there's a question of, do I get to, do I want to, can I? Yes, of course I can do the things. Does that make sense? You might be influenced in how you see God because of your earthly father. And um, I think a lot of people are. Like a lot of times when you talk about Father God, it's, it's hard for some people. It was hard for me in some ways. My dad's amazing. Um, and I have a lot of pain from my childhood also. <laughs> when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm in Iowa. And when I was a kid, I really, really um, wanted, to be, I wanted to be a farmer because that's what my dad was. And um, my family made fun of me. You know, I think we were probably living on food stamps at the time and, you know, just a family farm in Iowa. My mom, my dad, and my grandpa were farming about 600 acres and, like, barely making ends meet. My family thought it was, like, that was the worst decision in the world. I was too young. I was probably, like, I don't know. How old's Charlie? Charlie, Charlie. Three. So I was four when I had my first memory of getting paint on my boot, my cowboy boots. I got paint on my cowboy boots because I was helping my daddy paint the, the shed, the, bar, the scale shed, where we used to weigh the cattle. And that was my first memory, my first memory, of, and I was with my dad, you know, because I just wanted to be about what my dad was doing. Um, I wanted to be about my father's business in, in reality. Like, I'm just now saying those words out loud, to be honest, for the first time. I wanted to be about my father's business. What a, what a treasure. And I would go everywhere with my dad. I wanted to be with him. I'd fall asleep in the combine while he was out, you know, combining oats or corn. And I'd, I'd get home from school when I got a little bit older. I just wanted to be, you know, with him. I wanted to learn how he did things. I wanted to be with him and my grandfather. My dad did. He was very active in our life. He would come with us to, like, events for school. He'd drive the van. Or he was my t-ball coach and my little league coach. Like, he was very involved in my life. But my dad never said, I love you. And so I'm coming from this place of probably, in comparison to the rest of the world, I had a really good relationship with my dad. But there was a gap. 
And there was a gap there because I had never heard my dad say, I love you. And that left a place in my life where I didn't feel settled in, am I good enough? You know, I, I, like today, and probably not just because of that, for sure not just because of that. But like I have, when I'm dealing with stuff, it's because I'm, I'm constantly have to remind myself I'm good enough. I don't, I do measure up, you know? Um, that's kind of some deep, deepness that I work through. Um, and in Jesus, like even, even because of Jesus and what he's done, I know that. I know that. And then sometimes I have to remind myself that I know that, <laughs> right? I know it, but I need to know it deeper. And, and I think part of it came from this relationship with my dad where that was broken. Now, looking back, that was terrible. My dad didn't say that I love you until we were engaged or married. And Mary was like, what? Like she grew up in this family and her dad was like, like love, you know, kiss people on the, kiss the kids on the mouth. Like when I went to Mary, Mary's family, all kissed each other's on the mouth. Like I'd, I went to their family. The first time I met her aunts, they kissed me on the mouth. I was like, what? This is what, this is crazy. <laughs> Welcome to the South. And now I like, I kiss people with a holy kiss on the mouth sometimes in the family. I'm not afraid of that anymore, but Actually, it actually, I'm a love language guy, so it actually kind of, I was like, this is great. I love this. Kissing old ladies on the mouth. All right. So I just say that, like, it was a hard time for me, and it wasn't until I was, so we got married when we were, I was 22, so probably, like, late, early 20s when I, and then my, my dad, I think I might have even said it to him one time and then just let the pregnant pause happen. I love you, dad, and then wait, you know? I love you, son, you know? what? There was this moment where my older brother who had gone to, I looked up to him my whole life. I still look up to him. And uh, he had gone to seminary and he went to Gordon Conwell here in Charlotte and graduated with his master's in divinity. And uh, he, um, my dad, he had visited our church back in Iowa. And my dad told him, brought him up on the stage to share. My dad was like a lay leader in the church. And he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And I was like, I want that so badly. Like my heart, I like at that point in my life, hadn't even heard my dad say, I love you. And I was like, I want that so badly for my father to say, I'm proud of you. And, um, and so I, years later, he did say, I love you like I mentioned to me, and it was a shift. It was a shift in my life. I mean, it, it was a big shift. And um, I realized looking back as a healthier adult that now has worked through some of those things, I look back, I'm like, my dad loved me way better than his dad loved him. My, da- my dad was just doing the best he could. It wasn't because he didn't love me. It was because it was he just didn't know how to express it. I mean, his father was borderline schizophrenic. He diagnosed, he was like left the house and in later years, my dad goes back to try to, to go to work for my grandfather, but he tells me stories about how when he was a kid, his grandmother, you know, his mother, my grandmother, put him at the stop of, top of the stairs in the house with a shotgun and said, don't let your dad come up these stairs. What? I get, so I get, I get, he loved me way better than he was ever loved. And I hate that for him. And like, he's off the hook. In my heart, he is 100% off the hook, and we've worked to have better relationship. I love my dad. He's one of the, my favorite people, and I still love to be about what he's doing. You know, when he, when he and I are hanging out, we're just doing stuff together. 
And I know not everybody's father's story is like that, but I, I use my story to, to ignite in you. I, under, I don't understand your story with your father, but I believe that it might have an impact on how you feel about the father. And so I just invite you to like step past that, and that might be a process for you. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's going to happen right now in this moment, but to try to see past that into God is a good father regardless of your earthly father. And frankly, my kids have seen my errors, you know. I have not been a perfect reflection of, the, of a good father my whole parenting life. I remember one time, Oliver, we were working through something. He was 16, and it was something stirred up, and, um, and he, he was kind of, like, frustrated at each other. And I was like, man, you got to give me a break. I've been a father for 16 years, but this is the first time I've been a father of a 16-year-old. We're trying to figure this out, too, you know. I, w- I was not a perfect father. But today, I want you to at least jump with me to let's set that base. God's a good father, if you can, with me, you know. We'll talk a minute maybe about, about our earthly fathers. But let's, if you can make the jump to God as a good father, and we do, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be chapter 5, verse 8 in Romans as you get your Bible or your Bible app. I'm in the New Living Translation. But here's a a verse for me that always I come back to a lot. Chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet still, whatever your version says, sinners. To me, this is a linchpin for is God far off in controlling and a cause and effect? People that do good get good. People that do bad get bad. This is, to me, a key verse. He loved us so much that he came to us while we were sinners. He did not wait for us to get better to come to us. And I think that's so important to say, God's a good father. There's a thousand verses that we could go to say God's a good father. But I wanted to to just kind of lay that down. Is that good? So if he's a good father, then that means that we are children of a good father. That means that we're loved. That means that we're blessed because we have a good dad. Would you guys, can I make that jump? Okay, let's jump to eight. Romans eight, since... We're going to be in and out of Romans, so don't lose your place. Romans 8, but don't move your bookmark that you are reading because I don't want to be responsible for that. 8.15. So Romans 8.15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children, and now we call him Abba Father. Okay, I'm reading that because... God's goodness wasn't just for Jesus. It was for us too, right? It was for us too because it says right here, you have received God's spirits when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, which we know is that daddy. Daddy, we received a spirit of sonship. So we are, right? Everybody with me? Sons and daughters of a good God. Okay, In this, the New Living Translation that I'm reading, it actually tries to make this, um, I don't know if the word, if it's a pronoun, I think maybe it is, children, maybe not. It makes that children general in the um, 
original translations, it's, a, it's the male son, right? It's a son. So that's the adoption of sonship. They use sonship oftentimes in the Bible to talk just generically about us actually as a bigger body. But I want to dive into actually some of the specific pronouns surrounding a male because it tells a story a little bit about um, stages that Jesus went through in his life. And this is amazing teaching. I was, um, I'm part of River Life School Ministry, which I've told you guys, um, first year we were going through um, some ministry about the Father's love and about identity. And so some of this teaching that I'm getting ready, I totally give Byron credit for at River Life School Ministry for helping us set some of this foundation. I remembered it as I was preparing for today's meeting. So I want to unpack or share some of the things I learned with you because it's really cool. There's three Greek words. I'm going to teach a little bit. Is that okay? There's three Greek words used in different stages of Jesus's life as a child and a son that correspond to three major Hebrew rites of passage. And this is fascinating to me. Maybe you'll think it's fascinating. If you go to Luke, okay, we know the story. Luke chapter two, you know this story because this is in the Christmas story. Jesus had just been born. The angels had just come. Um, and Luke comes before John. Just heads up. Okay, Luke 2, chapter, two, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 27. And in this story, uh, this is right after the angels appeared. And then days later, they take Jesus into Jerusalem because there was a rite of passage that needed to be happened. Anybody know what rite of passage? About eight days in a baby's life. Circumcision, right? Circumcision. So we look at verse 27, and it said, That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required. Okay, so when Joseph and Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, the boy baby, the boy child, Jesus, the boy child. And that is um, a Greek word, boy or son or child there, is um, pideon is the Greek word. I don't know Greek. I just, this is just part of this. And I looked it up in the the blue letter Bible where you get to see the Hebrew Greek like translations. And this word is used there. Pideon. Pideon means a, an infant, boy child, an infant child. Pideon is infant child. Are we good? And it ties to this circumcision that happened out day eight of a Hebrew rite of passage on day eight, boy child, uh, boy children would be circumcised. And at that point, they became children of the covenant. So they became children of the covenant. They became a covenant man at age eight. Day eight, sorry, marking their relationship with God, their covenant relationship with God. Is that cool? Okay, next we see Jesus in chapter two. So just go down a little bit further in verse 48. He's a little bit grown up now, not grown up, but he's older Right? This is the story where he, uh, Mary and Joseph can't find him. They leave town, and they're like, wait, I thought Jesus was with his cousins or his aunts and uncles, but we can't find him. And they go back to Jerusalem, and where is he? He's in the temple. He's teaching. Uh, verse 48. And it says, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching everywhere for you. Son. Son there is called technion. So Pideon is the first uh, son, infant, technion. And that's like an adolescent, 12. What happens at 12, 13 years old in Jewish tradition? Bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. So this would have been in that time in Jesus's life where you're becoming 
accountable. The age of accountability. It's a rite of passage, right? You're becoming accountable. Um, a boy, like, hits puberty about that age. You become accountable. Um, the, the word ba mitzvah actually translates to son of the law. So you're accountable to the law, bar mitzvah, or bat mitzvah, daughter of the law. And, um, and also, we'll see in a minute, the Bible tells it to where you become an heir, at your bar mitzvah, you become an heir to your inheritance. Wow. Tech, technion. When you become a technion, you become an heir. Son, both words. In English, we just use son. Son, son, son. Baby son. Like heir, son, that's an heir. And then here, let's jump forward to Mark. We're going to get out of Luke for a second. We're going to go to Mark 1. Mark is before Luke. Mark 1, and now we know Jesus, and Mark kind of jumps right into the baptism of Jesus. So in Mark 1, verses 9 through 11, Jesus had come into, um, John had been baptizing people, and John said, look, someone's coming who's greater than me. He's going to baptize us in water, right? And in 1, verse 9 through 11, it says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth. John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. And you bring me great joy. Son, son there is weos. No, it's huios. Sorry, I phonetically wrote it down. Spelled with an H, H-U-I-O-S, huios. That son in the, as a male in Jewish tradition was coming into age, like 30s, could have been later in life. I actually read somewhere it could be up to when they're 40. Um, probably for women, it was a lot less, like younger, because they mature so much faster than men. I'm just kidding. I don't know. That's probably not true. Don't write that down. That's, that's extracurricular. All right. This is a, a time in Greek, the word is huios in and Huothesia, Huothesia is the adoption ceremony or son placement. And what happens in the Hebrew rite of passage at that time is a young man's father would place his hand on his son's head. Listen, the Hebrew father would place his hand on his son's head and he, he would say, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. I bestow upon him now all of my riches power and authority so that he might act on my behalf in all of my affairs. When Jesus came up out of the water, he had this son placement where God said, I'm pleased with you. I love you. And I bestow upon you now all my riches and power and all authority so that you might act on my behalf in all of my affairs. Like this was a moment that the Hebrews in the area, when he came out of the water and the audible voice of God said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, they knew the blessing. You know how, like Jesus was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. They knew Isaiah, he was quoting Isaiah, and they probably knew the rest of the Isaiah passage. And here we see Jesus come out of the water and God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, and they know the rest. They know the blessing. Isn't that amazing? This is so good. And this is a a summary straight from Byron, and then I'm going to come back to the scripture in a minute. 
So we begin our life in the kingdom. Let's apply this spiritually. We begin our life in the kingdom as little children, Pideon, yet fully covenant men and women, because we're, that's when you get circumcision. We're fully covenant men and women as an infant who have total access and finished work to the cross. It is finished. We are part of the new covenant when we get saved, right? And then we grow and we progress to young men from youth up to, again, that 30, 40 or whatever. And we are then in that technion, apprenticing in the father's business, learning his ways, right? Learning his thinking. It talks about how Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom, right? And then finally, we become mature sons, hueos, who can act more fully on behalf of our father and his affairs. Isn't that amazing, the progression? So if we read, so wait, this is available. Let's go back to Romans. I don't know if anybody else is excited. I'm excited about this. I kind of geek out on this stuff. Let's go back to Romans 8. Because this puts it together. Chapter 8, verse 14. Ready? Okay, I need to be ready. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children. That is actually Hueos. Who all are led by the Spirit of God are mature, doing their father's business, sons and daughters of God. Therefore, dear brothers, you have no obligation to do what is in your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, I went backwards, just kidding. Pick up in 15 with me. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. That's also a the adoption ceremony, the son placement. So you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own as his own children, and gave you his authority to do his work, right? Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, technion. We are God's children, technion. And since we are his technion, his adolescent children, we are his heirs, In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So even as we're growing up in the things of God, y'all, we're already his heirs. Does that make sense? But if we're able to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his huevos really are. We were his technion that had heirs. We were heirs. We were ba mitzvahed in him. And now the world is waiting to see who his mature huevos children are that are going to be about their father's business, working in authority, doing the work on behalf of the signet ring stuff. The stuff right in the signet ring where you can press your hand and seal it, and it is as good as if the father said it. 
you know what I mean? Have all access to what his, all his goodness, all his, all his, all his riches, all his lands, all his territories, access. Where the, the world, all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his huevos really are. Not huevos. 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 Seriously. Uh-huh. Huevos. Huevos. Not huevos. Sometimes I clash my Hebrew with my Spanish. Just kidding. That's the first, and it's Greek. That was terrible. Okay. <laughs> Woo, I love that. All of creation is waiting. Like, all of creation is waiting to see, you know, to... Because God does his work through his kids. Right? We were talking about this the other day, how God, his plan from the beginning was to do his work through Adam and Eve. He didn't subdue the earth on his own. His plan was to do it through Adam and Eve. And then when they messed up, guess what happened? His plan was still to do it through his sons and daughters. And we're broken. And he just course corrects. And says, okay, sons and daughters, take another swing at it. And, the, and creation is waiting for us. Like, that's for me why in the River Life Wilmington vision statement, like, because of God, because of his goodness, because of his grace, because of the Holy Spirit, because of encounters, we are activated into our callings. Like, we are into our identity. Into our identity as fully mature wheels. Wow, who then have the power and the authority to act on our Father's ha- behalf? That is just great to me. When I um, when I heard my dad say "I love you," it made a big difference. I mentioned that earlier. You know, it shifted something in my life where I could I could operate differently. I, I was able to break off some bondage that I had put. It wasn't my dad didn't put it on me. I I put it on myself because of what I misinterpreted from my father. He did love me all along. I misinterpreted how he portrayed that and put something, right? When, um, when we were in Mooresville, oh, this is what I was going to look up this morning. Um, I, went on, I was on um, YouTube this morning going back to some old River Life Mooresville feeds, and I stumbled on November 6th when we got commissioned to come do River Life Wilmington. And it was the day of the announcement that Mary and I were going to do it. Most of the church didn't know. And, um, and heaven opened. I've told some of you this story. Heaven opened. And, like, it was the most impactful day of my life, I think, to date, um, spiritually speaking. And um, I got stuck there. And then I just watched that. But what I was looking for... <laughs> was later when we actually got sent. So we were commissioned on November 6th. Later, um, we were actually sent out, and my dad showed up to service that day. And uh, he walked up on stage after service, and he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And it just, like, it launched me. You know, it's like the thing my heart had been waiting to hear from, and I thank God because I know we don't all get that experience um, from our earthly fathers. Some of our earthly fathers aren't here anymore, and they never had a chance. And some of our earthly fathers just wouldn't know how to say that even if they wanted to. And some of our earthly fathers just don't want to. 
Um, so I don't, I don't um, take that lightly, but it's like launched me and it helped me to hear that from the father, you know? And then when I read this, went back to this teaching and then saw the connection to the Hebrew, the Hebrew tradition. This is my son whom I'm well pleased and I bestow on him my blessing, my authority, the right to go do my business on my behalf. It's like, oh, what an amazing, that's identity. Like if we can really grab onto that of who we are in the father as those huevos children, we can, man, there's no mountain. What's the song? Well, no, not that one. There's no mountain we can't break through. Yeah. There's no wall we can't break through. There's no mountain we can't move. All things are possible because we have been like given all authority and power from him. Am I right? So that's really exciting for me. I wanted to share that today. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.